0: Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the communications director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years' experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry, so I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on scripture. Thank you for joining me. to a special short series of podcasts focused on the known Episcopal candidates for the south central jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. The people you will hear in these interviews have offered themselves up for the role of bishop. The elections will take place the first week of November in Houston, Texas with a consecration service planned for November 5th. Each of these interviews was conducted via Zoom video conferencing during the month of October and all seven episodes have been released at once so you can hear all of them in short order. A couple of quick caveats before playing the recording of our conversation. First, the delegates have spent considerable time with each of the candidates at this point, so these interviews weren't really conducted for the people who will be electing bishops. The interviews were done with the idea that laity and clergy could learn just a little bit more about each of the people who have offered themselves up for the episcopacy. Second, I asked all the candidates the same questions. I didn't interject much and just let them talk. I did insert a question about where they saw hope for the denomination if they did not address that in an earlier question, so you'll notice me asking that question of some people and not of others. It simply had to do with the way they answered previous questions. Finally, as I record this intro, regular listeners will note that I have a bad cold, so I apologize for the squeaky and or gravelly voice. It was even worse during some of the interviews, so again, I apologize for the strange voice on my behalf. I think that's it. So without further delay, here's one of my seven interviews with Episcopal candidates for the South Central Jurisdiction. I'm joined now on the show by Reverend Dr. Randall Parton. He is the uh, pastor at St. John's United Methodist Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Randall, thank you for joining me on In Layman's Terms.
1: Sure. Happy to be here.
0: Thanks. Uh, Let's just dive right in. I kind of want to hear a little bit about your background, so give us uh, give us a short uh, condensed version, I guess, of your biographical and resume information, the things that you think are most important for people to know about you.
1: Sure. I mean, I think uh, one thing that's a little unusual with my story is I'm second career. Um, uh, My first career was as an academic. I have a PhD in political science. And I taught uh, American politics, politics and policy, state politics, uh, voting, elections, campaigns, the, that sort of thing at the University of New Mexico for five years. Uh, when I was in graduate school, I was discerning a call to ministry then, and kind of couldn't quite take the plunge, and so completed my Ph.D. and became faculty at UNM. And then uh, about three or four years into my tenure track position there, uh, finally kind of gave in to the call and gave it all up and went to went to seminary at Duke. Um, so. Um, uh, Lots of folks like to draw a lot of connections between uh, studying politics and the church. Um, I'm never quite convinced that there's a direct one-to-one correlation with that, but um, I think, I mean, I I appreciate the sort of the training that I had as an academic and uh, kind of the critical thinking, uh, understanding, you know, arguments, data, problems, that sort of thing, that there's a lot of stuff that has transferred, but the politics piece of it, I've never quite drawn the connection (laughs) myself Um, Other bits about my story that are helpful to know, um, I've served a number of different churches, uh, rural church, county seat church, uh, uh, university church in Las Cruces for five years. And then I got to serve in the conference office for six years here in New Mexico as Bishop Bledsoe's uh, provost, which is a fancy title, but incorporates what the discipline calls the Director of Connectional Ministries, um with the assistant to the bishop and a number of other kind of program and ministry responsibilities Uh, new mexico is a small annual conference we don't have a whole lot of staff and so where some annual conferences would have you know a director for clergy excellence and a director for leadership development that sort of thing um, we had just me we just had the provost Um, and so a lot of those responsibilities kind of rolled into my office and that's a, a pretty unique i think position Uh, in in the connection just because there's a lot of administrative leadership programmatic pieces that um, our provost here in New Mexico uh, ends up being responsible for. Um, And uh, in July of 21, so just over a year now, almost a year and a half now, I I was appointed to St. John's United Methodist Church here in Albuquerque, and uh, that's where I've been since last July.
0: Thank you very much for giving us that background. Yeah, uh, let, Let's talk a little bit more background. Tell us a little bit about that call story, uh, wh- I, how you ended up in ministry.
1: Sure. So I um, I, I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, my family was military. And so sometimes where we were assigned, we were part of a church community. And sometimes where we were assigned, we weren't. And so it was kind of hit or miss when I was growing up. Uh, when I was in graduate school, I became involved with the United Methodist Church there and Uh, was invited uh, by a friend to be a volunteer advisor for our senior high youth program there. And um, uh, during my time there as a volunteer, um, our youth director uh, graduated from college uh, herself and moved on. And so I was approached by the staff parish relations chair, who's now a real close friend, um, if I would be willing to step in as the senior high youth director. I did that for three years. And uh, that was my real first experience in any, any kind of ministry setting really. And, um, I loved it. I mean, it was so life-giving and I loved working with the youth. Uh, I loved having really, really meaningful, important conversations with, you know, teenagers about faith and doubt and the things that they were struggling with and what it means to be part of the church. Uh, in, um, uh, 1993, um, we took our youth to build houses with Habitat for Humanity in Tijuana, Mexico, and uh, we had uh, two or three churches that partnered on that. So we had a big youth group go down there, build build houses with Habitat, came back, uh, turned right around, and our congregation took our Vacation Bible School program to the Blackfeet Reservation in Montana. And that sort of back-to-back mission experience was really the first time that I felt like mm, maybe God is asking me to do something with my life other than, you know, just going to be an an academic. And um, I mean, I confess that part of my discernment was that um, although I had a lot of intellectual curiosity and I I still am very curious about politics, um, it felt very self-serving. It was sort of a kind of self-satisfying way of just, you know, scratching that intellectual itch. And so when I became faculty at the University of New Mexico, Uh, found that a lot of the work that I was doing in the church, whether it was teaching Sunday school, being on committees, that sort of thing was really, really satisfying. And some of what I was doing on campus was just not satisfying. I mean, it was satisfying to a degree. Um, You know, I loved doing research. I loved teaching. I loved uh, mentoring students. um, But it felt like I wasn't contributing to something bigger and, and that there wasn't sort of much the meaning and purpose that I was looking for. And so... Uh, discerned through that, that um, maybe I needed to explore ministry. And so I did.
0: So uh, talk different kind of call story now, offering yourself up for the episcopacy. Tell us a little bit about why you're willing to be considered for such an important role at this crazy, admittedly crazy time in the history of the, of the denomination.
1: Yeah, that's a really important question. I mean, and not just uh for me personally, but I think for the whole church uh, and for me personally, I can share with you that this has been a really um, weird journey. Um, this has been something that um, I, I, I have done a lot of discernment around, and so we elected our delegation in 2018 here in New Mexico um, for the 2020 General Conference. And um, I had never offered myself as a candidate for delegate before. Um, I had been on volunteer staff at general conference for many, many quadrennia and never offered myself as a candidate, as a delegate for uh, for general conference. And so I did in 2018 and was first elected and it's our practice as I think it is in a lot of annual conferences to kind of go through the delegation and say, do you feel called to this? Do you feel called to this? And in 2018, my answer was absolutely not for all kinds of reasons. Um, And so my discernment has uh, shifted, honestly, um, in even just the last eight months um, from no, not at all, for all kinds of reasons, to uh, a certain openness. And for me, that openness has come external to me. Um, It's been in conversation with colleagues and friends. It's been in conversation with my friends and family. Um, And it's been those conversations, it's been that community discernment with me and around me that has nudged me to even um, be open to to being willing to this. Um, And so my prayer has been uh, for a willingness to be willing. This is not something that I have jumped at, but I have a group of people behind me and underneath me and around me who are kind of nudging me forward in this. And so it's, it's been a willingness to listen to them and a willingness to offer myself in this way. And I think honestly, the, the, the moment that we are in um, in our United Methodist church has really kind of pressed that for me. And some of that is just because of um, my style of leadership and ministry is very relational. It's very collaborative. Um, I have been blessed everywhere. I've served, uh, to have been in a position of great trust uh, with you know, my lay leadership in the local congregations at the annual conference level with colleagues all across the ideological spectrum. Um, and, and I think that, that um, that's where, from what I'm hearing again from those who are gathered around me, why this moment, um, why they're urging me to consider this in this present moment is that, that, that relational collaborative Um, patience, um, uh, you know, sort of trust generating um, space that I have somehow managed to to create and to hold in ministry uh, may be something really important for us to explore together in this discernment around Episcopal leadership.
0: And leadership is a great segue to the next question. That's uh, with everything going on with our disaffiliations and, and concerns over human sexuality, how how would you lead in the United Methodist Church going forward in this season of all that kind of unrest?
1: It's hard to answer that question, honestly. I mean, I think, you know, um, I can tell you how I'm trying to lead my local congregation uh, here at St. John's. Uh, we have a history of being uh, a big tent church, and so we've always had a diversity viewpoint here at St. John's. You know, the folks like to use to say that, you know, you would, you know, pull into the parking lot on Sunday and you could have, you know, Reagan Bush stickers and, you know, Mondale stickers and, you know, any sort of, you know, any election year, there was a variety of viewpoints. And so there's been a real tension as our cultures become more polarized to hang on to that. Um, um, I, um, I try to lead very transparently. I mean, I'm very honest about where I am and about what I'm trying to accomplish. I'm not somebody who plays games. I don't engage in a lot of double speak. I try and, and be very, very uh, careful about what I say and how I say it. And I do that in a way that uh, hopefully is sort of clearly transparent and authentic and genuine. And I think that that's an important piece of the puzzle for this present moment is for us to be able to be honest with each other, to show respect, um, by, um, by by telling our truth um, and and you know to use the term that uh, Bishop Carter uses, the sort of the convicted humility, I think, is is a real um, uh, real necessary component to any conversation that we have. Um, and I think um, I, I think sort of the, the the piece of of having a sense of that we're going somewhere as well, that that we're not going to get bogged down in um, in some of the sort of you know we're not going to chase rabbits in some of this work and i think that that's going to be really really hard because um there's a lot of things that we could talk about and there's a lot of things that a lot of directions that we could go with this but finding a kind of a a center core uh something a center conviction that we can all hold on to even if we even where we differ um is 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 really important and and i know here in new mexico Um, We started some of these conversations when I was still in the conference office, and I think that was an important piece of our work here in the New Mexico Annual Conference was to just kind of surface the differences and let it be okay that that we are on different sides on some of these issues and really um, um, create the opportunity for us to engage in real trust building and real uh, truth telling, even as we are sort of somehow at odds or pulling ourselves apart at times.
0: Obviously, human sexuality has dominated the discussion here of late, um, but what other issues do you see as critical to the future of the United Methodist Church?
1: I'm a little terrified to admit that I think our, our structure and our polity is something that's going to be living for us. I mean, I, I think that it's been for a long time and we haven't quite figured out how to structure ourselves as a global church most effectively for ministry. I mean, we are, we're really still captured by the 1968 kind of structure that we, uh put down you know way back when um and i think those conversations are going to be really really important going forward and that those are going to be hard conversations in the midst of um you know kind of the, the looming sort of budget insecurity that as with churches disaffiliate as apportionment payouts uh, decrease because of that uh it's really going to put a pinch on on that conversation and i pray that our conversation is going to be more mission focused than it is going to be money focused but I think that that's that sort of a looming conversation. And I've also shared with folks in, in conversation that I think um, for those of us who are going to stay, for those of us who choose to remain, um, there's gonna be a real opportunity for us to really engage in uh, some core conversations about who we are um, and that, that that to sort of recreate um, our identity around who it is that we are and who it is that we are called to be. And structure and polity is a piece of that, but I also think that, that sort of a full-throated kind of this is who the United Methodist Church is going forward is going to be really, really important. And I, I look forward to the conversation. So I have some thoughts about that. And some of that is sort of kind of dialing down to, you know, our, our essence as, as those of us who are staying. And I think there's something really rich and powerful there. Um, but I also think that's going to have to be a conversation that happens at all levels of the church, from the local church on up to, you know, general boards and agencies through annual conferences and, and even including our seminaries and, you know, some of the sort of the parachurch organizations that we're partnered with. Very
0: good. Um, so under, we all understand we live in a fractured society, and the church yeah. is reflective of that, right? So uh, what would you do as a bishop to help unify people who are going to remain in the United Methodist Church? And, and maybe give an example or two of how you fostered unity and mission on either your current appointment or in a previous step along your ministry journey.
1: Yeah, so I think... Um, it's not a trick and it's not a a sort of a technique. Um, but it's been my experience that when people are focused on mission and being outwardly focused, they find a certain degree of unity anyway. Um, and it's not that you're sort of, you know, playing a shell game with people. Um, but I think the more that we can be focused on a common objective outside of ourselves, that we can be sort of called to a higher calling of doing kingdom work, uh, wherever we are, um, that generates unity. I've seen that happen in a local church. I've seen it happen at the annual conference level. I think that there is a real opportunity uh, for us as those of us who remain to kind of to get some clarity on what it is that we're called to do. And, and that, will, that will in and of itself generate unity uh, for those of us who remain. Um, and I also think, not to kind of keep coming back to that, but I, I think you know, just having those honest, transparent conversations, um, you know, and, and, and recognizing that things are gonna be messy for a while. It's gonna be okay that they're gonna be messy for a while. I think there's great opportunity in messiness. God does some of God's best work in chaos. Um, and so I think, you know, to really kind of throw ourselves into that work as opposed to feel like we are being dragged into that work uh, reluctantly, I think um, it also kind of will generate a certain degree of unity that we are, we are moving forward together.
0: So one question that I've, I've kind of thrown in on everyone here, uh, if they didn't address it themselves, is where do you see hope for the United Methodist Church? As you're as you're thinking about this task that you're willing to take on, uh, where do you see the signs of hope for the future for the denomination?
1: I, I see signs of hope um, in the amazing amount of resilience that I observe from the conference level in our local churches through the pandemic. Um, I think there has been so much hand-wringing about, uh, the health of our congregations and the health of our denomination over the last generation, um, that, um, that I've really struggled with, honestly, because it's, you know, it's, it, you know, the Dionysus Church has been declining for as long as I've been alive. Um, and so I've never known anything different than this narrative of decline. Um, and so when the pandemic hit, and I'm serving in the conference office, and I'm starting to field calls from from pastors, from lay leaders throughout the annual conference, and hearing how they are pivoting and doing things differently and innovating and, and sort of being creative and experimenting and failing and it being okay to fail. And they're trying something different again, um, that for me, that generated so much um and hope, but also pride in our people, because I knew that they had that capacity all along. And, and I think that we have beat ourselves up for so long about what we are not and that we are not what we used to be. And I think the pandemic for a lot of our people really kind of took the lid off of that and said, you know what, we, um, we, we can do all kinds of things that we never thought possible before. And so I think if we could tap into that latent resilience in, in our leadership, in our clergy. I, I think there's all kinds of things that we can accomplish, but we have, we have, we have become so a kind of hunkered down because we're not what we used to be that it had never occurred to us to ask what's possible. So that gives me hope. That gives me genuine hope.
0: All right. Well, I'm, I'm concluding each of these interviews with a lighthearted question. Uh, tell me what's your favorite Bible verse and why that particular verse resonates with you.
1: Uh, Isaiah 55 8 and 9. Um, I have a, a stole that was given to me at my ordination uh, from the church that I served in in West Texas. Um, um, you know, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Um, I think that for me that is a constant reminder that whatever God thinks possible, whatever God imagines possible, uh, may not be sort of how we limit ourselves. And so that, that's the passage for me that just has constantly resonated. I'm constantly wondering, you know, are we thinking big enough? Are we thinking, um, you know, what, what God imagines possible here? So that, so that's, that's the passage that I go back to. And I'm grateful, uh, to have those words embroidered on a stole that I wear around my neck.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time here today. And again, thank you for joining us on in Layman's Terms. And thank you very much for your willingness to step forward in leadership at this critical time in the denomination's
1: future. So thank you very much. Thanks so much.
0: You've been listening to one of seven brief interviews with Episcopal candidates in the South Central Jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. I hope these talks give you some insight into the people who will serve as bishops, if elected, at the South Central Jurisdictional Conference the first week of November. And if one of these people turns out to be your new bishop, now you will have at least a little insight into their call stories and a little more information about how they intend to lead your annual conference. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And, if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.